project resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Please make sure to reference Medical Coding Geek when you place your order. Looking for a convenient, cost-effective solution for interventional radiology coding training? Check out Cracking the IR Code, Mastering Interventional Radiology and Cardiology Coding Online Education. Created by interventional radiology coding expert Stacy Buck of RadRx. This comprehensive online training offers access to content for one year, Q&A support available during your one-year enrollment period, hundreds of coding scenarios, and actual operative reports. What are you waiting for? It's time to earn that specialty credential. Go to RadRx for additional testimonials and information, and use our promo code GEEK10 for special pricing. Again, go to RadRx and use our promo code GEEK10 for special pricing. You are listening. You are listening. You're listening to Do Not to Not Elsewhere. Not Elsewhere. Elsewhere. Elsewhere Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Not Elsewhere Classified podcast. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, welcome. Over 70% of our listeners listen to this podcast through their Apple iPhone. So please pick up your Apple device, go to Apple Podcasts, and leave our show a five-star rating and a review. Check out Medical Coding Geek and the Not Elsewhere Classified podcast on social media, including Facebook and Instagram. And also check out our YouTube channel, where I recently posted videos on Health Information Professional Week and also my first vlog. So please check that out. And while you're there, subscribe to the channel. You can check out our Facebook groups by going to medicalcodinggeek.com services. I also wanted to announce that I have acquired a new group uh, that was previously from Hitnots, and I have called it the CEU Hit List. This group uh, carries the the task that Hitnots did that Mary Dudash White oversaw in searching, finding, and reporting free and low cost CEUs. So I took over the group. It's grown over to seven thousand already, and I'm setting up everything to get ready to send out the first round of CEUs that I found online. So again, you can go to medicalcodinggeek.com slash services. You'll find the group link there. And of course, while you're there, if you need a speaker or you need someone to help promote your service or brand, please feel free to reach out to us. And of course, you can find me, Brian Kui. My last name is spelled C-U-I on LinkedIn. Today in the podcast, I have Stacy Tortorica from Stocking Horse, LLC. In part one of this two-part episode, we talk about Stacy's journey from starting out dealing with injuries as a gymnast, finding her interest in healthcare, going into medical billing and coding school, having the need to work, and then finding her passion in medical coding. In this episode, we talk about the variety of roles that she has had, but most importantly, the one that caught my interest is her role as an ambulatory CDI specialist. And so for those who know me, I used to be a CDI specialist for inpatient, and I ask her questions on how a CDI inpatient specialist can transition into an outpatient or ambulatory CDI specialist. So without further ado, here is part one of my interview with Stacy Tortorica. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to the Not Also Classified podcast. Today on the podcast, I have Stacy Tortorica. I love that last name. <laughs> Stacy, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. 
Doing well. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. I love the podcast. Thank you very much. So the way I connected to Stacy, and, and, and I know these past couple of podcast episodes have been mainly focused on my journey on YouTube, uh, which, by the way, the last the last episode with uh, Marlene, uh, I mentioned Victoria Mole. Right. And so this is funny. I, 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 I just released it on Friday. Friday at midnight. And so normally I go to sleep early, then I wake up to use the bathroom, then I check for, you know, I check my 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 Instagram, I check out my stories, I check out Victoria. <laughs> and she's up already at like I don't know what time, like 12 or 1 o'clock listening to the specific episode so she can hear her name <laughs> being mentioned by me. I think she loves it every time I I mention her name. Uh, her her ears get a little bit of itchiness. So, anyways, uh, the back to you, not Victoria. Victoria, I'm done with you. Okay, no more no more mentioning your name. Later on, we will. But uh, the way I connected with Stacy is, as I mentioned before, I've been doing a lot of YouTube, and a lot of the podcast episodes have been kind of you know kind of preparing myself to deal with the YouTube and working with camera and all of that stuff. So, in research, in I guess preparing for my channel, which I just started what a month ago, I think maybe less than a month ago. Uh, I stumbled onto Stacy's uh, YouTube channel, which is called Stocking Horse. Which I do have a question about that. I see the I see the horse in the background, so I, I have I have a I have an idea I have an idea what the answer is, but I'm I'm gonna save that question <laughs> in a little bit, but um. I watched her YouTube channel and, and amongst with others, uh, Victoria Mole, Blue Garcia, which she's been on the podcast. Both of them had been on the podcast. I've asked questions to them. And so I watched yours and I'm like, wow, that's great. And you have a certain style. Uh, you ha- you, I, it seemed like you have everything set. Like, you know, the, the camera is great. The I saw the little light in the background. You have a little of a I know you study some YouTube, too. Yeah. <laughs> And then you have a certain blur in the background and I see the horse in the background. You have some lights. I'm like, great. I think I think she did some research, too, just like I did. And so I watched a couple of videos. I'm like, that's great. And so we'll talk about that in this episode. Why there needs to be more of this needs to be more of this. Uh, but anyways, that's how we connected. I was very interested. Plus, her last name is great. Tortorica. After I after <laughs> after I, I'm like after she mentioned it, I'm like, wait. That's a pretty cool last name. So, um, we connect. I connected with her on LinkedIn, and uh, I also she is uh, she has background in CDI specifically for outpatients. So I definitely have a lot of questions on that because my background is in CDI inpatient. So there's a lot of gaps that I need filling uh, within a certain time frame, as much as you want to explain. So we'll talk about that. But anyways, let's get to the first question. Uh, where did you come from and how did it, how did you get to where you are today? So um, it's uh, kind of one of those stories where, I mean, to be honest, I came from a very humble background. So one of the things that I love about this field is that you can um, really come from nothing essentially and just through extremely hard work and dedication, you can grow to pretty much any uh, position or any area, do anything within this field that you, that you want with putting the work in. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, careers out there where you, you need, you know, 12 years of college, you need all of, of this schooling, or you need to know people. And, you know, so starting out in this, um, as many know, depending on which way you want to go, I mean, technically speaking, you can sit for some certifications without any college. Um, not that I would recommend that. I, I don't. But, um, you know, you, you can, again, start from the bottom and really work your, your way up. So um, growing up uh, was uh, tough because, you know, I had a single mom um, and uh, just didn't really know that much about um, college or like how to do it or, you know, how do you become a successful, you know, quote unquote adult, you know, and what kind of things do you want to do? So I was actually, um, really into sports. I was a gymnast. 
And so um, I focused on gymnastics for the, you know, younger part of my years until about the age of, of 15. I started having chronic shoulder dislocations. Yeah. And uh, yeah, definitely very painful. Don't recommend anybody uh, do any activity or what have you that may that may cause that. And, you know, most people only suffer from that type of injury if they're in like a car accident, some kind of severe trauma. But um, we couldn't quite figure out why that was happening. And um, I had gone to see an orthopedist and um, actually here ended up being here in Florida. Um, but he was great. And I ended up, I've had three shoulder surgeries, two on my right shoulder, one on my left. I had to have slap repairs on both essentially, because the first surgery uh, failed and they just, you know, my right shoulder kept dislocating. So through that experience, uh, yeah, I was told that, you know, your, your career essentially in gymnastics or whatever you were thinking you were going to accomplish is, is gone. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to continue in the sport. And it's not good for your body for you to continue to do that. And as it turns out, uh, something with the development of my joints was off where um, the essentially the ball didn't grow as large as it was supposed to, to stay in the sockets on each shoulder. So I really didn't have much left in my shoulders as far as ligaments and tendons and whatnot. So there was nothing left holding them. And I could literally lift my arm to wave goodbye to someone and my shoulder would dislocate. So yeah, it was insane. So I got very good at um, putting my shoulders back in to place and mm. on my own. Ooh. And so that's really how I got introduced to medicine, essentially. <laughs> From that experience, I knew, well, I, I always pictured myself just staying in the sport. And not that I really knew again at that young age what that would mean, but I thought, well, maybe I'll be you know, good enough to be an Olympian, or, you know, maybe I will be good enough at this to kind of go into, get into college to get a scholarship, but not really thinking about the end game. Mm. But, you know, suffering through that really made me think about the end game. And um, I got very interested in uh, orthopedics Mm -hmm. and in medicine in general Mm -hmm. and learning about the body. So that kind of opened it up for me. So essentially, by the time I, you know, was graduating, I knew I wanted to be in medicine. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know exactly what path to take, how to get into it. Right. And um, I, I really had a passion for, you know, maybe wanting to become a surgeon, um, but quickly realized, again, I didn't really know that much about <laughs> college or, you know, the path didn't have the money to yeah. <laughs> put mm-hmm. into it mm-hmm. and how long it would take. And I was like, you know, how am I going to support myself? Yeah. How am I going to do this? So I started going to like researching different colleges. I ended up finding a technical college that started a nursing program mm-hmm. And it appealed to me just because, again, I didn't know the, any a lot about college or so the difference between a technical college or a university. Like, I, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I, I decided to enroll there because they were so friendly. Their sales team was excellent at <laughs> getting me to really want to, you know, go to school there. So I started off in this, this nursing program. But then, like, my third class in, they started talking about medical coding, which mm-hmm. was bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're there for something clinical, why would they really be talking about that? But it really spoke to me. Um, and I, and I think that it was because I realized even at that time that the data in healthcare was important to everyone. Um, not, not even just necessarily us as a nation, but just as the whole world. Mm -hmm. Like when you think about everything that happens and how we, report that information in and then how that data is used. It's just, to me, it's mind blowing. Um, And so I just felt like that's really interesting. I actually want to know more about that. And um, anyway, I ended up moving and um, changing schools. And when I changed over, I decided to go in for coding. Mm. And um, at that time, um, they didn't the, the certifications, honestly, for the outpatient side were really, or even inpatient, really weren't that popular at the time. So mm-hmm. 
the school didn't really offer that as a part of the, the curriculum or anything. So you would go through and then you would sit for some certification that no one had really ever heard of or that really meant anything like to people that were hiring. Mm-hmm. But I got the education for coding. Yes. And um, I just started applying for jobs left and right because I needed work. I needed yeah. uh, money um, coming in. And uh, I, I must have, at the time, it was just, you couldn't really email your resume, you had to fax. So <laughs> I think, I, <laughs> I, I I don't know, I must have faxed my resume out like over a hundred wow. times. Like it was just crazy. And at the time I was like, you know what? I don't care if they're saying that I need 15 years of experience. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to apply because I want this. And if they'll just give me a chance to interview, you know, if I can just get my foot in the door, I know that I'll make a difference. Like, cause yes. this is a passion. So I um, ended up getting interviewed at a place down in, in Tampa, Florida. Mm. And um, I do have a, you know, a YouTube about uh, interviewing. And I mentioned the story in the interview, but um, in the interviewing video, but, uh, Basically, the first thing that was said to me when I went in the room was, um, you're not our first choice. Our first choice is coming in after you. Do you still want to interview? And so I was just kind of blown away because I didn't, I hadn't even said hello yet. And, Mm. you know, that's, it it was already like a decision was already made that I was not really their first choice to hire. Um, But in the same, at the same time, I recognized that, I'm out of school, they would be making an investment is in me mm-hmm. as well as I would be, you know, in, investing in them. And so, you know, maybe this other person has a much better resume, much more experience than I have. So I, you know, humbled myself and just said, of course, you know, I'd, I'd like to still interview because Good. if something ever comes back up where you have an opening, I would love to work with you. Mm-hmm. you know, and take that opportunity and that I recognize that I'm just out of school, but I'm willing to put the work in. And so um, they said, okay, very well. Then the first thing we want to do is give you a test. Um, you can use your books. And if you have any questions, just let us know. So yeah, I uh, sat and took this test. It probably took me about 45 minutes. I can't remember how many questions were on it. I want to say maybe 30 questions, mm-hmm. but I did have to ask several questions while taking the test, which I, I very quickly realized that they were shocked about, but they it appeared to be shocked <laughs> in a good way and not in a bad way. Yeah. So for example, some of the questions were asking um, about coding and they were like a patient had an x-ray taken. And so I would ask, I don't know how I'm supposed to code this, if it's supposed to be global or with the TC or with the 26 modifier. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this facility owns the x-ray machine. If the, you know, like, can you give me some more context to this question so I can answer it correctly? Mm-hmm. So things like that, I think they were really um, shocked to hear. So uh, I leave the interview, I go home. And then that evening, maybe three hours later, I get the job offer. And um, <laughs> yeah, I was, so I was shocked. So I just figured maybe the other person didn't show up or something like that. So when I when I reported in for the job, I did ask. I said, Can, "May I ask, like, what made you guys, you know, go with me?" And the response was that you tested better than any of the people we even have working here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was really different. And I think I do have to credit the fact that I attended this school and mm-hmm. and learned about coding from a technical perspective yeah. as well. I think that many of the people that worked there had had learned on the job and maybe weren't aware of some of the more technical pieces. So I think that that was definitely a benefit. And then while working there, they ended up um, opening up a separate coding department because at the time it was just kind of, everything was under billing. Right. And um, when they opened that up, I needed to get certified in order to sit in one of those coding positions. So in 2005, I um, sat for my CPC and, and became a certified professional coder through the AAPC. So wait a second, hold on. You, when you interviewed for that position, you didn't have any certification? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yes, yes. And so actually that's kind of funny because I think about that a lot and I think about how driven I was. So I know there's a lot of companies that 
don't even want to hire CPCA. Mm. So those that have an apprentice. And so like stalking horse, we look at the person that we're interviewing and we think about their drive, their desire. Um, and we, we put that above all else because we train. And mm -hmm. so we can train someone. And regardless of if you have 10, year, 10 years of experience or you just got your certification or just got out of school, you're going to need training. Right. And, you know, it, it, the certifications don't always translate to on-the-job success, right? right? So we recognize that as well. So we, we've taken on a couple of CPCAs in the past and um, also someone that wasn't certified that became certified after working with us. Now, no one that's not certified does any actual coding work that's released for us. So uh, obviously we have, we have a lot of clients here where we do continuous coding services, mm -hmm. um, but everything from when a person starts here, it's 100% reviewed Good. Yep. when they start. That's so important. yeah. And so no one codes for any client that's not certified and um, they yeah. go through a rigorous process here <laughs> before we let it out before we let kind of like let them loose because really we focus a lot on quality good but so that's how i actually became certified and got landed a job and it is pretty amazing to think back that i was able to get the job without a certification because that's pretty much unheard of now yeah yeah and uh so i worked with them for quite a few years and then i um i wanted more um so i started uh looking for other opportunities in different specialties. So I, you know, um, ended up kind of going between like pain management practices. Um, I went to general and vascular surgery. Mm -hmm. um, I did a lot of coding in between for just multi-specialty practices and such. So kind of built that up. And then long story short, eventually landed a position as the CDI consultant for outpatient services with Nuance Communications. Mm -hmm. And I worked with them for, oh, I don't even know how many years, quite a few years, but mm -hmm. honestly, it was like the best job ever. Was it? I loved working with Nuance, loved it. Um, and uh, most people think CDI, they think of, you know, inpatient, mm -hmm. but, um, it really is in the outpatient side and um, the AAPC has now that outpatient certification for it that I have, but um, it was a, a really a pivotal time in my career because the experience that I gained uh, working with Nuance actually led to Stalking Horse. So let me ask you a couple of questions on, on the CDI part because I, I think I mentioned it earlier. <laughs> Just, it's too early in the morning for me, but I, but I know um, I had my coffee. I had my coffee. I'm almost done. It's kicking in, but um, but my background is in CDI inpatient. I did it for 12 years. That's all I know. And I think when I finished, uh, now I went into auditing, uh, clinical validation auditing, and as I was leaving and approaching, winning, going into this new position. Uh, outpatient CDI was just kind of the buzzword itself was just kind of bubbling mm -hmm. itself through it. I see that you've done it way before. Uh, so my question is, and I'm, I'm looking through your LinkedIn profile here and it's very extensive. So all the stuff that you've done and you mentioned you, you've shifted from different specialties and so forth. And it's been mainly outpatient, correct? No, no inpatient and stuff like that. Correct. So, um, it, it's all been outpatient. Um, I mean, of course, if there's hospital rounding visits or procedures performed, of course, yes. But it's all from the physician side right, the of physician. coding. Mm -hmm. Right. So exactly. And so all of that, I'm sure you, you've garnered some some experience in physician education. And because and, for me, it's like, how, how, did that, how do you do that? But I, I'm trying to, the way I see it is, I've been trained inpatient, so it has to be somewhat similar from a training aspect in, in inpatient. But my my thing when when I, whenever you say multi specialty, right? Multi specialty meaning you know there are certain regulations in in this specialty. There are certain regulations and guidelines for this specialty and this special this specialty. To me, I'm I'm 
the way I see it as an inpatient CDI, I'm like, like it's a different hat. You gotta, <laughs> you know, it's like because because the thing is in my in my past when I when I was a CDI, right? They they gave me the opportunity to cross train as an inpatient coder, and I did that. Nobody else wanted to do it, but I just said it. I'll just do it. The Haugen Consulting Group offers healthcare consulting, education, and auditing services utilizing a team of industry experts specializing in leadership, project management, and assessments for HIM and patient access. Their auditors and educators are experts in facility and professional fee coding and offer education for ICD-10-CM, PCS, CPT, HIM, patient access, and revenue cycle. The Haugen Consulting Group is thrilled to be a partner with MedicalCodingGeek.com and the Not Also Classified podcast. Go to thehaugengroup.com slash shop and use promo code GEEK15 at checkout to receive a discount on webinars and desk aids. Again, go to thehaugengroup, H-A-U-G-E-N group.com slash shop and use our promo code GEEK, G-E-E-K-1-5 at checkout. Do you have a hard time landing your first medical coding position or keep hitting the wall of every position that requires at least three years of hands-on coding experience? If you are credentialed but still have a hard time getting hired, the Renowned Talent one-on-one coaching program is perfect for you. You will work closely with Bertram Lansico on your resume, social media presence, interview training, and access to companies who hire entry-level talent. Bonuses include resume templates, relevant resume keywords, and encoder access. Please visit RenownTalent.com and tell them you heard about this coaching program through the NEC podcast. Again, please visit RenownTalent, R-E-N-O-W-N, Talent.com, and tell them you heard about this coaching program through the NEC podcast. And while I was an inpatient, I, I had a brief stint in an outpatient, but from from the facility side, doing things like ancillary codes, radiology. Uh, I, w- I did the women's center, and that was it. They just threw me back to inpatient. <laughs> We're done with you. Go go back to inpatient. But but in that in that time, it opened my eyes a bit. Even though I was I wasn't dealing with CPT codes, I wasn't dealing with CPT regulations, all of that stuff. All I was doing just plugging in, plugging in the the diagnosis code, and that's it. You know, everything else is is a, is just set by the charge master, right? And so when I think of outpatient again, just and when I was thrown back to CDI from the from the ancillary, from the inpatient and the CDI, it's it was just like, you know, doing this right. And the, the way of thinking from doing inpatient to doing CDI is different. Now, imagine doing from outpatient to inpatient to CDI. Like, you know, <laughs> so it's it's like inpatient CDI. And I felt like, you know, like my brain was like, you know, trying to, <laughs> to do like this. So I, I could not imagine uh, doing ambulatory CDI as CDI. So you would have to, you know, again, put on a hat. And apply CDI concept in that world. Put on another hat. Apply CDI concept in that world. So, my question is, because my I don't know what the question is, but but I feel like there's a certain like if I wanted to learn, maybe that's a good question. For for all my inpatient CDI people that are probably listening, and are interested in going into outpatient, what are some of the things that we would need to know? So what are some of the things that we need to have in order to make a transition from an inpatient CDI to an outpatient CDI? Maybe that's a good question to start off with. I think it is. It's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you take your time. <laughs> kind of work it through. Um, work it through. Yeah. So I, I guess maybe first it would be good to explain that when you – When we say outpatient CDI, right, Mm -hmm. there are a a couple of different niches almost within that. And so what I mean by that is you're right. Like you have all of these different specialties. Okay. And if you think of it from a CPT perspective, Mm -hmm. you you definitely have different 
rules, regulations, okay. documentation requirements um, from from that, right? So mm -hmm. depending on the specialty, depending on procedures, if you're looking at it from CPT. But let's take a step back from that first and, and talk about ICD-10. Okay. So ICD-10 um, essentially is the same uh, on the outpatient side, regardless of the specialty, right? Okay. So it's, it's more about you know, what, what is the proper way to, to code from an outpatient perspective and then bridging the gap in the language barrier for clinicians right. to understand what it means to be encoding language. Mm -hmm. So I always um, speak to the physicians about that language barrier and give them as, as great examples as I can. So, you know, for example, one of the easiest ones is like major depressive disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, many times they document it as depression yes. and they don't give us that specificity. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they don't understand most of the time from their end of it, like I am being specific, mm -hmm. like, what do you mean? So when we've been technically trained and we understand that that's not specific and hey, this is how the, the code layout works mm -hmm. and this is what specificity means, they don't know that. So from an ICD-10 perspective, doing the clinical documentation improvement and helping providers succeed in that way, it's, it's much easier, I guess I should say, okay. in that way, where it's laid out more where you train them on that language barrier and really understanding the compliance piece and also their role in the documentation and being specific. Okay. And um, so with uh, my CDI consulting position, mm that we were just talking about where I traveled the nation, um, it first, there, there was both sides of it. So there was CPT side and ICD-10, but they started gravitating a lot toward risk adjustment, which I'm also certified in that. Mm -hmm. And that's that's actually, I have a long story about that, but that's uh, <laughs> okay. one of my passions as well. But I told you I can make a long story longer, right? Why not? So <laughs> Why not? I'll try not to, you know, make that too crazy, but I got in, into risk adjustment uh, when it began, mm. essentially, because I was um, doing a uh, at-night teaching at a college in Clearwater, Florida, so teaching coding. Okay. And um, I kept being contacted by this guy on my voicemail talking about a career opportunity. And I was like, I love what I'm doing. I'm mm. not interested. So I just like wasn't returning his calls and I, I hadn't applied for a job. So I didn't know why he was calling me. Well, he just would not give up. Wow. So one day I decided to call and say, hey, you know, I'm really happy with what I'm doing. Why are you calling me? Mm -hmm. Like I, I didn't apply for anything. He's like, listen, you know, I saw your resume. It's like sitting out there on Monster. It's just been out there. I understand <laughs> you're looking, but I came across it and I need someone like you. Mm. Um, and this is what I need the person for. And I was intrigued because I was confused. So <laughs> what he was asking me for, I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, what? And so he actually worked for a health insurance company. Mm. And they were looking for someone to train their providers that were under their contracts on um, risk adjustment, basically proper coding, ICD-10, you know, or ICD-9 at the time, sorry, or whatnot. Oh, so yeah. um, he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Mm -hmm. So I went and I was like, holy cow, because before that I was very focused on CPT. Everybody in that fee-for-service world on the outpatient side, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't know about DRGs and stuff like that on mm -hmm. the outpatient side. Mm -hmm. So it was all about how do we get this procedure code paid? Mm -hmm. And really what are just our top four ICD-10 codes or mm -hmm. ICD-9 codes? Mm -hmm what are the top four diagnoses and what are the procedures? How do we get the provider compensated? Mm -hmm. And um, so learning about this whole risk adjustment thing where you're being compensated based on the health status of a patient population and all of that, it was just like, wow, this is something new. And I love, you know, change and learning new things. So anyhow, the experience that I gained working there um, helped me with this CDI position because that, that company, um, Nuance, they had started focusing heavily on risk adjustment. Okay. And um, so with that, 
and the experience that I had, uh, I was able to help develop a program for um, improving your documentation or CDI uh, for where it had to focus on ICD tenant risk adjustment. Mm -hmm. Um, just so that they understood the framework of risk adjustment, how it works, what it means to them, and why it's important for you to have that specificity in your documentation mm -hmm. and why it's important to um, code appropriately. So that really took off. Um, and so, again, from an ICD-10 standpoint, I think that it's probably faster and easier for inpatient CDI mm -hmm. to start there and figure out that part because there are some subtle differences between, you know, outpatient ICD-10 and inpatient. Right. And so starting there, I think, is a great place. Okay. And so all of your experience that you have on inpatient is wonderful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's definitely not going to go to waste. Right. And so one of the things that I did as well was took CDI professionals. Most of them were nurses. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with mm -hmm. that. So most of them were nurses. <laughs> I think I heard you mention something about that before. <laughs> there were nurses that had been working on the inpatient side, and I had to retrain them to work on the outpatient side okay. um, for these risk adjustment um, programs or ACOs that were starting up. And so it was definitely a, a change in their thought process from inpatient to outpatient. And so basically it was a boot camp that I go through, and it took two weeks and then they would have supportive care, you know, after that they could reach out and I would come back to do an audit of like what, what the, the work that they had done and check in on the success of the program and mm -hmm. everything else. So that started that way. But then when you talk about CDI from a CPT perspective, it is a whole nother animal. You have to be very okay. careful because you do really need to do either if you have experience in multi-specialty, you still like obviously things change constantly in mm -hmm. this field. Mm -hmm. So you, it takes a lot of work and effort and dedication. Right. So you, you have to go back into and dive deep into those topics. So first thing is usually like a review of an audit of the services or the provider that you're, you're looking at. Um, and then through that audit, you kind of, you can hone in on those areas of that need improvement. Mm -hmm. And then working with the provider on those. But yes, it's definitely more challenging from the, that CPT perspective. Okay. Um, so, but I do think that it's easier to kind of understand when you split those two things up. Okay. Because, okay. you know, rolling it all together is kind of mind blowing, I think, like you were mentioning. So, when, when you train the nurses, the inpatient, the inpatient, right? Inpatient CTA nurses, yes. like what, what, would, what did you, what, what, what was part of that boot camp? Um, so believe it or not, we kind of started from scratch, essentially, mm -hmm. where we would talk about what diagnosis coding is, mm -hmm. the structure of it, oh, okay. how it's laid out, um, the differences between inpatient and outpatient, like right. when they were looking at those conditions. Okay. They were used to sending, uh, you know, queries or clarifications that on the outpatient side you can't do okay you, you know so um you know making sure that nothing is leading nothing is you know really telling a provider what to do and like one of the biggest things is like probable suspected those types of things oh those, yeah yeah those are mm -hmm. not out you can't code those on the outpatient side mm -hmm. so kind of going through that and then we would break it down by um like organ system almost or you know how the icd-10 is laid out yeah you know breakout sessions about each of those so of course like diabetes would be in there major mm -hmm. depressive disorder mm -hmm. you know copd and conditions alike anything from an icd-10 perspective that also has to do with risk adjustment right not, obviously not every icd-10 code risk adjusts so just those that um were impacting risk adjustment and that make a big difference in cdi uh, we would focus in on. And so we had breakout sessions okay. and walked through that and then talked about how to send compliant queries, mm -hmm. obviously how to review documentation um, and know what to ask for or where the gaps are in that documentation. So we did a lot of um, examples. And so we would take examples straight from their organization. 
and walk through that and literally do practice CDI work for quite a while as mm -hmm. well as we were going through the boot camp so that when we walked away or when I walked away, they felt prepared for sitting in, in that seat. So, but really we started over from the beginning because again, you don't really know, you don't know what someone else knows and they don't know what they don't know. Right. So yeah. starting from the beginning just kind of felt uh, the bet like the best option so that we didn't miss didn't have some kind of gap in um, education for them yeah make sure they're on the same page <laughs> exactly so yeah. I, I I think I get it I I think I get it right so so hold on <laughs> let, let me <laughs> let me let me let me let me digest this for a second so all right so we so you said begin with I the ICD whatever ICD 10 now Right. So mm -hmm. I understand that there is inpatient, there's outpatient. You mentioned the probable, possible, suspected, all of that. That goes out the door with outpatient. And I, 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 when I was taught, I was taught from, from the DRG perspective, understanding the DRG structure, um, the CCs, MCCs, if it's APR, SOI, ROM, um, which I might do another video on. That's a good thing. Uh, but, and you might do that too. You might do this video too. Why not? Okay. Because uh, that was a good question. I think that's somebody that uh, that you could do as a video or even as a training. So that's a separate thing. Anyway, so I understand the way I was taught was what affects, what affects in documentation will affect the outcome in the DRG. May it be a certain specific DRG with a CC, without a CC, with an MC, et cetera, et cetera. So when you apply that, the only thing I know is with risk adjustment. Because when you think about inpatient, you're thinking about what is acute versus what is chronic and being managed in the risk adjustment side. So I, the thing that I don't know, I only know risk adjustment because I, because I, th I taught for a company, but it was a risk adjustment company, so they wanted me to teach from a risk, <laughs> risk, risk management, a risk adjustment perspective. I'm like, I don't know. So when I was doing <laughs> these these sessions, I was actually engaging with the audience to help me provide feedback, right? Tell me more about these certain conditions, and I I knew CKD, diabetes, etc. You mentioned uh, depression, so I guess for an outpatient. Or inpatient person trying to learn outpatient, just kind of revolve it around what that DRG architecture looks like. And then for me, I would have to understand what the risk adjustment model looks like and yes. the HCCs, what would capture a certain level of, because regardless, regardless of system, it's going to be severity of illness, right? How severe and right. sick the patient would be. But HCCs are additive. Mm. Um and so the structure is is quite a bit different from DRGs, mm. but the but also DRGs is a form of risk adjustment, right? Right. And HCCs are a form of risk adjustment. Essentially, right. um, risk adjustment is an actuarial tool that they use to predict healthcare costs. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like it just came off of a slide. <laughs> <laughs> it you, probably is on yeah, multiple slides. Yeah. I probably have it ingrained now, but. But truly, that is what what it is, and that helped me a lot um, to to really understand that not just not just say those words mm -hmm. or read those words, but really understand that yeah. because if you think about it from uh, the bigger picture, mm -hmm. right? Um, think about Medicare. So for years, we've been told that um, Medicare like is going to go bankrupt. We're not going to have it. Like, what are we going to do? We're spending so much money on healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that they came up with was risk adjustment. Mm -hmm. So they said, you know, instead of paying for these services where it's, um, you know, fee for service, we should just be paying to take care of those patients based on their health status, mm -hmm. right? So for HCCs, it's essentially uh, obtaining a health status in the form of a number that then can translate into a formula that goes into math that then goes into a dollar amount, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if if I'm a patient that is, you know, 25 years old and I'm healthy and I don't have any um, chronic conditions or problems, you know, what's my expected cost or from the Medicare perspective, you know, if I'm 85 years old and I'm a female and I have, you know, multiple chronic conditions, 
what is the expected cost? And again, all of this is driven by data. So that's, right. again, that's that, mm -hmm. that passion, right? That's what makes all of this work is all of the data that we report in. So anyway, they use that information, come up with a, uh, a health status almost, you know, again, through numbers. So a patient's Kind of like a relative weight or a DRG, but in this case, right. it's going to be HCC. Correct. And then all of that patient's HCCs um, make up that patient's risk score, mm. risk adjustment mm -hmm. factor. And then when they put that factor into a formula, they can come up with the expected cost to take care of that patient. So then what they do is they say, well, if this is their expected cost, how much did this patient actually cost us? And then that's how they, they get quality, right? Mm -hmm. That's how they compare providers okay. on quality. Mm -hmm. For outpatient, um, regardless of if physicians realize it or not, or even if they're in a risk adjustment contract or an ACO or not, mm -hmm. they're all being risk adjusted because right. that's how they compare them to each other. Right. Or they compare, um, you know, this group or this practice to another group or practice. Mm -hmm. They're looking at um, actual cost versus expected cost. So again, um, if they think that not having a professional look at those that coding and billing, they don't think that's important. They're going to realize eventually how important that is, because if that data isn't reported accurately, your patient population may look much healthier than what they actually are, which means that your cost is going to be very high, mm -hmm. your actual cost, mm -hmm. but your expected cost, your benchmark will be much lower. Mm -hmm. So your, your group is going to look like a group of low quality providers. Or fraudulent. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I. <laughs> on here, right? Something's going on here. That's how um, I see it. <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah, this doesn't add up. Yeah, but um, you know, so it's it's funny that once organizations start learning a little bit more about risk adjustment, mm. or they're asked to get in some kind of risk sharing contract, their eyes just like completely open, like mm. the light bulb goes off, and then they're like. They're so hungry then for knowledge. We need to know everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, we need to get this risk adjustment thing under control. Why does our patient population look healthier than what we know they are? You know, like, so it's it's interesting. Um, and the whole goal is to just get appropriate reimbursement and appropriate. Good. Um, I like that. Yes, and, <laughs> appropriate, and, not exactly. increased. <laughs> yeah, it's, you, want, you want accurate risk scores, right? You want accurate risk scores. So then that, that always then translates. One of the, oh, one of the hard parts about this is there is a difference between um, coding and documentation yes. and CDI and mm -hmm. talking to the providers about appropriate documentation mm -hmm. versus something that you mentioned with clinical validation. Mm -hmm. And then also um, the, um, oh, what do you call it? The uh, diagnostic criteria for a particular condition. Mm -hmm. So that can be challenging, um, especially for newer providers. Many times if you go out as a consultant and myself, I do not have a clinical background as far as I'm not a nurse, I'm not a physician. Mm -hmm. So when you start asking me questions about clinical criteria, mm -hmm. that is not what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, in, in regard to that, obviously, if it's um, well known where I have the information for that and can share that information for the provider to research and to look at, that's that's different. But um, it does get a little bit complicated because some providers can ask some really complex clinical questions. So in many of these places, it's also um, well, it's always recommended that they end up having like a physician champion oh, yeah. as well you know, for those complicated questions, you mm -hmm. know, like I'm not a, a professor at any college that's teaching, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's teaching medicine. So there's certain things that, you know, I, I'm sure you would feel the same that we just can't answer, mm -hmm. um, and nor would I want to go into that. Um, but from a structural perspective, and again, talking about documentation and improving that the integrity, the quality of the documentation, yes, that's all, that's all there. But I would, again, so the short answer um, to your question, I told you I can make, make it longer. That's the good. short answer is for inpatient that are looking to go outpatient, 
um, I recommend risk adjustment is where you start. Mm. And learning about risk adjustment, the CRC certification mm. is, um, it's a good thing to have just from the perspective of, of being able to land a position mm. okay. in CDI, mm. um, transitioning from your you know inpatient to outpatient. That's what I want um, to know, are, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of places that are looking. Um, I know there's, there's one place uh, that it's out of out of state, but they they call me about once a year and say, "Hey, are you ready to move here yet?" Because <laughs> we, we want a CDI outpatient person, but we want them on site. And I'm like, "I'm sorry, I, no, I, <laughs> you know." So there's there's almost a shortage of of you guys, really? which is hilarious. Yes, it's it's hilarious because I was listening to you know what you were saying and about going into the out and how do I, and I'm just thinking there are so many companies that I know are looking for individuals like, like yourself mm -hmm. that then have transitioned over to outpatient and understand this risk adjustment framework. Oh, I didn't know and that. so, yeah, there, there, it, there's definitely a market for you guys. It's just finding the right way to get there, I guess. But again, I would recommend starting off with that risk adjustment. And oh. now I, I will caution you and yeah. The AAPC might, I don't know. I don't know if they'll like this or not, but the, um, the, the CRC certification is a great certification as far as um, when you take the test, it does test your knowledge in general mm -hmm. about how risk adjustment works and its framework and everything else. But it really doesn't get into the nitty gritty about it. So it's, Again, it's a great certification to have, but I just caution you that, and I caution anybody that gets that certification, don't don't think that you're an expert. Yeah, if you have oh, right, that. right, right, right. Because it's it's so much more vast than what they can actually put on the examination, right? right? And, and I mean, I guess that's true of almost all of the certifications. Um, I know one of the most popular questions that we get here when someone new comes in, um, we've done some um, externships, and uh, are, how familiar are you, you with evaluation and management coding on the outpatient side? Bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, so that's I, an honest answer. Well, I like well that. the thing is, I, I in my last episode, um, my only because ex I I used to teach as well. I used to teach, mm -hmm. and I own my only extent was what was out of that textbook, you know. There's five levels. <laughs> there's different. Mm -hmm. There's different specialties. Uh, there is new and uh, established, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> that's all I know. <laughs> but how to assign them? But that's a different story. Yeah. Well, there's um, there's an interesting, like, shift that happens where, like, when coders go to sit for the CPC exam. Mm -hmm. The exam, um, when they get to the evaluation and management section, it's actually, it takes it very easy on oh, the really? tester. Mm -hmm. Yes, because it will say, for example, now I'm going to talk about old guidelines for a moment here. It would say something like the patient has a, a, um, a detailed history, a comprehensive exam, and medical decision-making of moderate complexity. Yeah. That's the level of service, oh, right? <laughs> like so, that okay, well, you're telling me what each element already is, you know? So with the new guidelines, I'd imagine that they would say like the number and complexity of problems is moderate. Mm. The data is limited mm. and the risk is high. What is the code? So they're giving you the breakdown of the elements required to select the code yeah. where in real life, Mm -hmm. <laughs> the doctor doesn't tell you i have a detailed history yeah, yeah. Here. like they you know you have to know how to level that yeah how do you make determinations so, on that yeah yes yes so that's that's a huge difference but again if you know again defending that exam like if you had to do that when you're sitting down and taking that exam it would go from being five hours and 40 minutes to probably seven hours yeah you know or 10 hours like there's it's just it's a lot so you know, they can only kind of test you on so much. And it's basically designed to say that you you have passed the certification and you have a good foundation for understanding these concepts, right? Like with the auditing side, right? Um, you have 
different like different levels or different not even but different personalities in auditing and mm -hmm. I have an oddball personality when it comes to the auditing mm -hmm. side because I um I'm not working for you know Medicare or an insurance company. I am an external, you know, mm -hmm. company. I'm working with my client to help them understand, to learn and improve, right? So it's important for people to kind of wrap their minds around that because many times auditors even that work in consulting firms and such like stalking horse some of them um in other firms come with an aggressive and heavy hand yeah you know, there you go and come with the i am the auditor you shall fear me and you know you will be terrified of these results and you know it's just <laughs> i mean but really like they scare me yeah. you know it's, yeah you know, um, but I, I take a different approach because if people are not open, they can't learn. Yes. If they're not, um, you know, if they're too afraid to either ask a question or really think about what your result is or, you know, what I've said about a specific case example, you're not going to get anywhere, mm -hmm. you know, and the whole goal is to really improve their understanding, improve yeah. their documentation, mm -hmm. improve their coding. And so um, I, I I am, I think, more of the exception than the rule that I approach it kind of in the same way that you were mentioning when you were doing the teaching for risk adjustment that you, you know, really want that dialogue and for them to understand or you ask them questions, you ask them about it. And many times I feel that's super helpful with physicians because it's about understanding each other, right? Yeah. Like you can't help a person understand if you don't understand like what their thought process is or what the missing mm -hmm. piece is. So a lot of times, you know, that's, that's super helpful. So it's different from the, you know, fear me. And now, yeah, don't get me wrong. There's the downside that when you, you know, when an organization undergoes an audit, obviously if there's an unfavorable result, you know, them going back and resubmitting those claims and refunding, you know, that's, that's a part of it, but mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a negative, bad experience, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I truly believe that if organizations really understood that and found the right um, consultant for them, right auditor for them, uh, you know, again, we could make these large improvements in that area and, and improve the data that's going out the door. Right. So again, I kind of get back to that data, like the mm -hmm. integrity of the data that we submit out affects the world. Yeah. Period. Yeah. It just does. I yeah. mean, look at COVID, right? I mean, can't, so can't wait for that data to come out. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting the information right on the deaths and everything that mm -hmm. are COVID related mm -hmm. for, um, you know, different counties and everything. And I mean, you do, you, oh, I think a lot of people question it, right? Yeah, they question they the integrity of that information. Yeah. yeah. So I, I like how you mentioned, um, well, the word that I wanted to say is diplomacy. <laughs> yes, yes. you have to be yeah. diplomatic uh and sometimes because because i'm an auditor you mentioned that there's i'm like what what do you mean oddball you're an oddball auditor <laughs> <laughs> so the only way i see auditing is either you're aggressive as you mentioned before or you are uh conservative right you're conservative in I guess for me uh, as an auditor who gives out denials, you are conservative in, okay, like what does the other person think if I denied this? What is their, like I'm thinking two steps ahead. Like if mm -hmm. I sent this denial to them, what are they going to appeal with? So mm -hmm. uh, like to avoid all of this process, because when you, when you send out a denial or you receive a denial, it it's required it requires time and money because you have to go through all of that process. You have to re-review a chart that has been reviewed before, right? And then probably right. reviewed before that and then sent out and then it's going to be re-reviewed again. And so I think two steps ahead sometimes. It depends on the case. Uh, but I, I the, the word diplomacy always comes along because I'm like you auditors, auditors tend to not to be seen as being diplomatic, right? They're either the, the attacker Right. And mm -hmm. <laughs> that's why I always considered um, me being the auditor. I, I always joke, joke around being in the dark side. A lot of auditors say that, like, oh, we are on the dark side. 
you, you probably hate us, but but you shouldn't do that. But um, but diplomacy is key because again, when you talk about open education, uh, that is also the key because we're trying to drive your data. We're trying to show you what your data looks like from an outside mm-hmm. perspective, mm-hmm. and of course, there's gonna be you know integrity questions. Uh, conf- uh, what is it? There's going to be disagreements. We're going to have agree to disagree situations. There's going to be appeals process. But I, I've always found it that it's always going to be that, you know, everything in coding is never black or white, but there's always a bunch of great, like very gray situations. And those gray situations tend to be brought up to the light. Like you mentioned before, where the physician might have questions. Those are probably some gray area situations that probably that physician sees a lot of because that's why they're specialty physicians, you know. Right. And right. so maybe you might have not have that answer because as a consultant, we are we we only know the general specific, you know, conditions, the cases, you know, what we've seen a lot of based upon what is fed to us in reports. So there you have it. That is part one of my interview with Stacy Tortorica. You could find her on LinkedIn. You could check out our website, which is stockinghorsellc.com. And you could check out her YouTube channel, which is Stocking Horse LLC Medical Coding. Medicalcodinggeek.com.